Hi, Kit McCarty here, welcoming you to Now I See, a podcast where people of vision share their eye-opening experiences that helped them shift focus, gain perspective, and see themselves and their world in a whole new way. We invite you to pull up a chair to the conversational table, pour yourself a drink, and enjoy our show. We're hoping our time together will encourage, elevate, and engage you toward your own eye-opening moments. Today's special guest is Jenny Garrison. Welcome, Jenny. Hi, Jenny is a pastor's wife and the mother of a special needs child. The topics we'll be talking about in our conversation today. Jenny has a degree in Bible teaching from Columbia International University, formerly Columbia Bible College in Columbia, South Carolina. Jenny married Paul, a graduate of Dallas Theological Seminary, and together they have worked with churches in Texas, Surrey, England, Green Bay, Wisconsin, and presently Mesa, Arizona. While Paul served as pastor, Jenny worked in various capacities, primarily teaching women and leading children's ministries. Together, Paul and Jenny have three daughters, six grandsons, ages two to seven, and... Uh, A girl, finally. (laughs) (laughs) On the way. So exciting. Congratulations. Jenny, I see you as bubbly, adventurous, quick to laugh, compassionate, and flexible. How do you see yourself? Um... Yeah, I think I see myself as some of those. I feel like a very, I feel like God has given me um, somewhat humble beginnings in the sense of the kind of family I grew up in. So I feel like a very normal person. I don't feel like the typical um, pastor's wife that people see me as. So um, yeah, so when I had my children, um, I, I didn't feel like this expert Christian mom at all. Well, that's kind of good, because that would be a burden, maybe, to, (laughs) you know, if you felt like there was a certain standard you had to live up to. And I don't see that you ever struggled to do that. Others may have tried to put that on you, but I don't see that you caved to that. And so good on you, because life was going to be challenging enough. So because you didn't have an ideal uh, growing up situation, and maybe you want to speak to that, how did... um, how were you shaped to be a mom of a special needs child? To be a mom of any kind, but especially the right. special needs child. Um, I think really what shaped me a lot and helped me was um, my childhood made me tough. And, and I think to be a special needs parent, you have to be tough and not care what other people think. And um, I grew up in a uh, home um, where my parents divorced by the time I was 11. And um, even before that, I was on my own a lot. My dad was gone a lot because of his job. Um, and my mom was sort of distracted by her own personal issues. <laughs> and then um, I have a, an older sister and a younger brother, and they were kind of off doing their thing a lot. And so, um, so my whole childhood and then into my teen years, because then one by one, my family members left till the point where I was just with my mom. And so very much on my own, I had to be really independent and some difficult things in my life. So um, I just had to learn to be strong. And I think that really helped me a lot being a parent. I think so, too. Um, Strength of any kind for even parents of children that are, you know, typical, typical learners, typical behaviorally, Um, but especially in your situation. You also learned to be flexible during uh, ministry because you uh, were serving overseas in an international organization. Talk about that. 
Yeah, that was really interesting. Um, we lived in England for two years. And um, you go through the normal thing that you do with um, culture shock, even though it's England, you know, and English speaking, you still go through a certain amount of culture shock. Um, well, it's and- not exactly the same English, is it? No. <laughs> no and I was the youngest woman there. We served, actually, it was in an international community church, but it was a lot of Americans. And so um, they, they were older than I was. I was just in my 20s, a young mom in my 20s. I had had our oldest daughter. Um, I had our second daughter while we were there. Um, and just, uh, I got mentored a lot there by some beautiful Christian women who um, taught me what it was to be hospitable, taught me um, how to be a mom. They were, they were, I was very much the little sister to a lot of these women. And so that was extremely helpful, but yeah, just, yeah, it was a lot of, um, learning how to give up the things that are comfortable to you and embrace what God has in front of you in the moment. I'm sure that was a challenge. And so I'm so glad that you were able to not only um, survive it, but lean into it and to glean something important from it. I also have been blessed to have older women build into my life, and it has made all the difference in my formation. Mm -hmm. Um, I have always loved your hospitality. I'm surprised to hear you say that you learned it there. I, I always thought even before you went there that you were very hospitable. So did you just uh, grow in that area uh, or do you feel like you really were shaped in that area? I feel like there were a couple of examples in particular. Um, the thing that stood out to me the most was I think when you're, when you're young and in your 20s and you see other women that are older than you, especially when you, you know you're a pastor's wife and you feel inadequate in that, Um, The thing they did the most for me was demonstrate that when people are in your home, um, it doesn't matter how well you do anything, how nice your dishes are, how well you cook. What they did was they focused on me and my needs in the moment. And they made me feel very special. They made me feel cared for. Um, One of all, I'll never forget, had a teenage daughter. And she called me ahead of time and she said, don't worry, bring your daughter because my um, teenage daughter loves to do it. She's going to watch your child so that we can visit during this time. And so just little things like that. um, It really wasn't about how nice their house was or any of that. It was how they paid attention to me as a person. And they weren't so wrapped up in all those other things that they were worried about. Their focus was on me. And that that spoke volumes to me and helped me um, when I went, at, we brought a lot of people into our home as, you know, the pastor's family. And so I had to take a deep breath and not worry that everything was perfect. In fact, sometimes the house was a mess because we had little kids. <laughs> I mean, you know, that's just how it is. So I knew that my number one focus was, okay, um, you know, you focus on this person and listen and be, just be aware of what they need in the moment. And, and that was huge for me. I'm sure that opened a lot of doors for you. I also struggled with that early in my years of hospitality before Pinterest made things even more complicated, Uh, before we had all of these um, hospitality shows on stations like HGTV or whatever, where the um, idea of um, ideal hospitality was highly exalted. And I think we kind of lost as a culture the ability, like old world hospitality, to just invite people in. And I can see how that would be so important to you in the many years that followed in ministry, because it's all about inviting people into your church, into your home, into relationship with God. And so I can see how that benefited you. Yes, for sure. 
What are some of the other lessons that you learned? I would think flexibility would be one of them. You had to leave a lot of things behind in order to um, to minister there and then to return and reintegrate back into culture. So some pretty big cultural shocks for you. How did you manage those? Yeah, I think, well, like I said, I think I had to, um, it's a process where you allow yourself to get frustrated with some things. It was, I spent my first Christmas there and I remember crying there, <laughs> being in the kitchen doing dishes and, and I'll be home for Christmas came on and I just was just <laughs> all weepy, like I can't, I'm not going home. And, you know, so you, you allow yourself so that, that time to be, to grieve and to be frustrated. Um, but then very quickly you ask God, like I said earlier, to um, embrace the time you're there because we didn't know how long we were there and we ended up being there just two years. And there were things after I left that I wish I had done while I was there. And so um, learning to fully take advantage of the things in front of you, I think was a big deal for me. Um, and. Uh, knowing that God's going to put you in an, in an uncomfortable situations, but it's okay because he's going to use everything in your life later. He redeems everything for later, even the uncomfortable situations, you know? So um, yeah, just that. And, and like, like you said, just, um, you know, later becoming a parent of a special needs child, learning to deal with the uncomfortable, you better learn to deal with the uncomfortable because that's going to be in your life a lot. <laughs> so I imagine so. I think there was a story you wanted to share with us about that time, the pajama story. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Okay, so um, I got pregnant with my second daughter while we were over there, and the women wanted to, to of course, um, throw me a shower, a baby shower. And a lot of women, probably over 50 women there. And so they, they, yeah, there were these two women that gave me this gift. It was a gift for me, not just for the baby, but for me. And I, it was, I was thrilled. It was an outfit. And so about six weeks after the baby was born, there was a special tea that they were having. And so again, there were probably 50, maybe even close to 100 women that came into this large woman's home. And um, I had someone pick me up. We were carpooling. And I wore my new outfit and I loved, I was excited because it had, you know, a, a very loose fitting pants because, um, you know, you need that way, you know, you're still a little bit large after you have the baby. So I, I had been there probably about 10 minutes and the two women that gave me the outfit um, very kindly were trying to let me know that I was not really wearing an outfit. Instead, they said, well, weren't we going to buy the house coat that went with that? trying to let me know that I was standing in pajamas <laughs> in front of all these women and I could not go home because I had been in a carpool so um I had to go for the next two hours walking around in what I knew were pajamas which was you know rather humiliating <laughs> it was but it was one of those lessons it was one of those lessons where God said to me you know what um <laughs> you it doesn't you're never going to be feel completely comfortable and competent in anything you do. And I was very, feeling very incompetent in that moment. <laughs> what I thought was like, you know, the great pastor's wife who had it all together. Oh no, I was standing there in my, my pajamas. And so, you know, I had a lot of other pajama-like moments later in my life, um, trying to be a mom, trying to be a special needs mom, where you just feel like, I'm just not... <laughs> I'm not the one who should be doing this. I don't know what I'm doing. I can't even dress myself right. So, um, yeah. 
Yeah, but you know, you need to learn to laugh. You yes. really need to learn to laugh and and realize that, you know what, there's other people out there that have pajama moments too, where they just feel like this is, you know, you feel like everybody else has it together but you, but it's not true. Everybody else has at one time or another had their pajama moments. And so we're all in this together. So just get over yourself, you know? Well, I th- really think that speaks too to our expectations. You were expecting one thing and you received another. And probably that secret was only yours and the two other women who were involved in the gift. Oh, I don't know. Oh, did it become <laughs> public knowledge? <laughs> I don't know. After that, who knows? They probably, whatever. I just, like I said, I had to just plow through it. So. Well, and I'm glad that you can laugh about it later. Sometimes, you know, those those things come back to haunt us. So yes, we can turn it on its head by laughing about that. Let's talk a little bit more about becoming a special needs mom. Can you tell us the circumstances around Megan's birth? Yeah, um, I was not gaining weight in my last uh, month of pregnancy. And even after three um, scans, they they just, everything looked fine to them. But she was born two weeks early, which is really considered term. She was only four pounds, nine ounces when she was born. My placenta had calcified. She was, all of her organs were fine. She passed all of her tests. And after two days, they sent us home, said she's fine. So um, then at 10 days old, though, she um, got group B strep meningitis. We were in the hospital. um, And that was a... um, very traumatic experience. I stayed in the hospital the whole two weeks with her. Uh, We got through that, but then they did a scan on her head to make sure all the pockets of infection were gone. And when they did that, they discovered that there was a brain injury that they determined had occurred much earlier on in the pregnancy because the brain tissue was already gone and had been replaced by spinal fluid. And that doesn't happen in a short amount of time. So it it had to have happened when she was um, much younger in the womb. They don't know what caused it. They don't think it was genetic. It had to be um, just something fluky, a one-time, a one-off kind of thing. Um, although we know, right, God God was with her in the womb the entire time in the palm of his hand, even when that was happening. So we know that absolutely. So, But in any case, um, it was in a part of her brain that affected the left side of her body, mobily. So she has... Um, paralysis on the left side of her body. Cognitively, they had no idea. And especially with the uh, meningitis on top of it, which was unrelated to the, to the brain injury, um, they didn't know what that would cause. And so we had to spend the next two years just holding our breath with everything, you know, with her. And when she was almost to the day, two years old, she finally stood up for the first time because wow. they didn't even know she'd ever walk. And I remember just, um, I'll never forget it, when she stood up for the first time in our, in my kitchen, I was doing dishes and I turned around and there she was getting herself up on her feet. And, um, you know, little things like that, that we take for granted, that when you're a parent of a special needs person, every little thing like that is huge. And so, um, yeah, that started Megan's journey. And um, she, she was able to, to go to um, kindergarten and go through a lot of therapies. She, we did the whole physical and occupational therapy during her early childhood years. She started kindergarten and she did okay in kindergarten and first grade, but by second grade, we really knew that she was going to have, have some cognitive um, disabilities. She communicates really well, 
um, but she couldn't keep up in school. So she was going to need to be pulled and put into a special class. And that's when we just, that and when she was five years old, she started having grand mal seizures because people with brain injuries um, are very susceptible to um, seizures. And so that started us on that, which lasted two years until it became controlled through medication. Praise God that it's controlled now. So um, yeah, all that was a lot to digest in a short amount of time. Well, I hear you saying that you've experienced a lot of unmet expectations or challenges to your expectations. We're going to take a break and we'll be back in just a little bit and see how those things resolve themselves. I love Jenny's advice about hospitality and how timely it is now that we are in the middle of the holiday season. Jenny's right. We all have a pajama story. Mine actually happened several years ago. Our house is usually filled at Thanksgiving with family, my kids and their friends, my husband and some co-workers from work, neighbors stopping by for coffee and dessert, international students experiencing their first Thanksgiving, that sort of thing. In this particular year, the children were gone uh, to other friends' houses, and the co-workers were getting married and celebrating with their new families. Neighbors were traveling or had guests in from out of town, and none of our international friends were coming, so my husband and I decided we would take it easy. We wouldn't do all the work of cooking a turkey, baking breads and pies, preparing the sides, cleaning the house, polishing the crystal and silver, you know, all the things. Instead, we'd stay in our pajamas all day, watch the Macy's Parade and some football games, eat a simple meal, read, take naps, and maybe, if we were feeling ambitious at all, we could get a jump start on Christmas decorating. Well, just about the time that the parade was nearing an end, the doorbell rang. The kids and friends came. They said it didn't feel right not being home at Thanksgiving. On their heels were friends and neighbors whose plans had changed, and suddenly their schedules had opened. There I stood, in my pajamas, the house with normal lived-in clutter and no food to offer them. I wanted to be horrified, but there wasn't time for that. Fortunately, someone had brought a pie, and another person brought a pan of brownies, and I think someone even had a green bean casserole that they were going to take to another party, but they brought it to our house instead. We threw together whatever was in the pantry. I think we had hamburger helpers, spaghetti, soup, some leftover meatloaf. We ate with plastic sporks that we had from takeout earlier in the month and uh, paper plates. And when people lingered in conversation at the table, passing around their phones to share favorite photos, memes, and kitten videos, others relocated to another room to play cards and board games. There was sweet conversation and laughter everywhere, and I had a chance to sneak away and put on other clothes and even run a comb through my hair. For the first time in my life, Thanksgiving wasn't about the food. It was about the people who came, not because they had to, but because they didn't want to be anywhere else. Like Jenny, my pajama moment taught me some profound lessons, too. I had been working way too hard trying to impress people who didn't need or want to be impressed. My home was filled with people I loved and who loved me in return. My heart was filled with joy, peace, and an abundance of gratitude. Everything the perfect Thanksgiving Day should be without all the stress. Since then, Thanksgivings have looked a little more traditional, but are much less focused on the fuss and much more on the reasons for which we have to give thanks. 
If you would like to share your pajama moment and the lessons you learned, post your story on our Facebook page at Kit McCarty NIS or join our Now I See group on Facebook and post your story there. Please share this story with a friend. Like, subscribe, rate, and review so others can find us too. We are so grateful for each of you, our dear listeners and fans. You have given us such wonderful support and encouragement this year. Join us next week when Debbie Sims gives us insights about grieving the loss of loved ones during the holidays. Their ideas about how to honor them and find hope to move forward. Now, back to our show. Before the break, we were talking about how to manage uh, expectations. Some of them were good, some of them were not. But learning how to um, survive and how to thrive when life doesn't always turn out the way you think it should. So uh, before the break, you were telling us about uh, Megan's disability and about the difficult pregnancy that you had with her and about some of their challenges in her early years. You know, we've heard people say, I don't care if it's a boy or a girl as long as it's healthy. And then what if it isn't? So would you like to talk about that? Yeah, um, I'll never forget um, after having Megan hearing, you know, it's, it's very typical. We all say it and there's nothing wrong with it. We all feel that, right? We do. But I remember hearing it in a new way after having Megan because it's like as long as it's healthy. Well, for a lot of people, what if it's not? Then what? Because, it, because you know, the assumption is, well, because if it's not healthy, then what? My life's going to be terrible. The baby's life's going to be terrible. What? And um, I just learned that, you know what? I just want to hug people that have special needs children and say to them, um, you're on a different journey. You're not on the journey you thought you were going to be on. You're on a different journey. But um, it's an extraordinary one. And it can be extraordinarily amazing because um, as difficult as it is, it introduces you to a whole new community of people. And, and so many of these people in the special needs community are some of the most outstanding special people you will ever want to meet in your life. And you get to be a part of that now. Um, and, and I know that sounds like really crazy, but it's, but it's true in a lot of ways. Um, and, and you're on a journey where and I know most parents feel this way anyway, where, where you don't get a playbook, you know, you can read all the parenting books you want, but I mean, every child is so different and every challenge is so different. And you just throw up your hands and you go, I don't know how to do this. Well, when you have a special needs child, you really don't know what you're doing. And you just go, I'm, I'm not an expert. I don't know how to deal with this, especially if you have, um, you know, children with, with autism and some of these really, or any kind of medical needs, and you just go, I, I'm not, I'm not an expert in this. But it's amazing how God will lead you to the right people. And I remember God leading us to the right therapists that were just like handpicked. I feel like Megan's neurologist was handpicked. Um, the, a teacher that we needed at the time was, I feel like, just when I was at my lowest and feeling so desperate, like I can't do this anymore, the schooling thing became such an issue and God brought the perfect person at the right time. So um, you get to see God show up in extraordinary ways for you because your situation is extraordinary. And it, it is not easy and it is tough, but your journey looks different, but it's a good one. And it makes you and your children 
and everybody in your family and those around you different because you've been in it. And that's what's extraordinary too. I think in some ways, though, a good difference. You mentioned that your other daughters are much more sensitive to other families who have children who are atypical. Um, And I think that you maybe slow down because you have to. And so you see things that most of us blow by in our hurry to uh, get so many things done. I think you might also let go of some of the things that you hoped would happen and you just embrace the moment that you're in. Are you finding any of those things true? Yeah, absolutely. Even even as, as it, your journey continues throughout, because each phase of life that you're in um, affects the fact that you, I mean, the, the fact that you have this special needs child affects that stage that you're in. My husband and I are um, getting close to retirement age, you know, and most people, when they think of retirement is like, well, we just, you have all these, we'll go on cruises, we'll do this, we'll do that. Well, when you have a special needs child, you don't, you have to think twice about some of these things and you have to, you know, um, it just, it just makes a difference. And so, yeah, um, it, it affects every single stage that you're in, but in a very good way. Like you said, with my daughters, um, they're different people now because they grew up with Megan as their sister and in a, in a really good way. They're in tune to a community that they wouldn't otherwise be in tune to. And both of them have spent time in ministry in other churches. And those churches now are in tune to special needs in a way they wouldn't be because my daughters were involved in their children's ministry there. So, I mean, it's just this ripple effect that um, can be really, really cool to watch. Well, and part of Megan's therapy was horse therapy. Every little girl's dream is to have a pony and your daughter lived the dream. Tell me about that experience. Yeah, God has been very good in bringing um, horses along. She's an animal person. Megan is very, very in tune to animals and she's always had a special love for horses and it started um with um, a good friend of ours um mary in green bay she had a horse and she allowed um megan to come and and spend some time with her horse and it started there and megan was just amazing and watching her with this horse she was so much better than a lot of people i would see it was amazing and then the other um, one that was very special she got to do some therapy, some also some what's called hippotherapy in Green Bay. But then God gave us the gift. We, 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 I forgot to tell you, we were also at a church for five years in East Texas. And there was um, a special couple there that had a herd of miniature horses. And when somebody in the special needs community moves to another place, it's very stressful on them. Change always is. And God brought about this couple with this herd of miniature horses, horses, and they allowed Megan to come over three days a week and feed these horses. And it was just like this little slice of heaven for both she and I there. And so, and then now um, here in Arizona, she's in a very special program called Horses Help, where um, they do therapeutic riding every week. And so, yeah, God has been figured out very creative ways to bring horses into Megan's life. And that's been a highlight for all of us. I'm so, I'm so glad because whenever I see pictures of her, she's always on a horse and she's always oh, yeah. smiling. And I think that's such a good thing. Mm-hmm. Well, let's uh, circle back to uh, some of the difficulties that, that you experienced. Um, you not only had to adjust your own expectations, but I'm sure there were people that were praying into your life that maybe if you had more faith, she'd be healed, or maybe they had certain expectations of how she should behave or act mm-hmm. or how you should parent. Would you like to address some of those things? 
Yeah, I think the biggest thing for me would be more the parenting thing, especially when you're the pastor's family. Um, people watch carefully. And the thing with Megan is, especially when she was younger, um, it's not like when you have a Down syndrome child or some others where it's very obvious that the children has, has issues right away. So you tend to be a little more forgiving. Um, Megan at first look would look very normal. And so, and this, and I, and I really feel like parents with sometimes autistic kids can feel this as well, because um, when a child has a meltdown in the middle of the church lobby and they're screaming and they're yelling, you know, and it's an ed, the kind where everybody stands to watch and you know that the first thing on some of their minds is, well, you know, wow, what kind of parent are you? Can't you get that kid under control? You know, obviously you don't have control of your children. Um, this happened to me in, in a, you know, like a Walgreens in the middle of the aisle. And it's like, okay. And, you know, and you have, you see where my, my daughter had this happen to her, where you have somebody come up and, you know, try to tell you how, what you should be doing with your child. And it's like, you just want to smack them, <laughs> honestly. And, but you mostly just want to say, you have no idea, no idea. You know, so um, yeah, you have to learn how to, I, I had to learn how to at church, just really close my eyes, take a deep breath and put my focus on Megan and do what's right for her and, and have it be between um, me and her, not between, not to do anything that I think the people around me expect me to do because they don't know. You know, you think you know, but you don't know. And and I would say that too for any of your your listeners who are who know somebody that has a special needs child, or um, you know, particularly those that are, that are autistic and and really have difficulty in social situations and public situations. Um, you know, say a prayer for them. They don't need your advice. Say a prayer for them. Give them a smile. Give them a pat on the shoulder whatever you can do to encourage them because this is a tough journey and for those you know when you see when you think it's just a regular child that's behaving badly it may not be so just keep that in mind well i think we could all stand to be more kind to each other i think everybody's dealing with more than we know but it, yeah especially with that so how did you manage intrusive questions surely people asked you in walgreens or at church what's going yeah. on how'd you manage that yeah Really, I, I haven't had as many in public, but I will say that I, I try to, most of the time when people are asking me questions, I know that they really do want to know, and I actually don't take offense at it. I try to look at it as an opportunity to educate people, you know, um, when it's the right situation. You know, if it's, if it's totally inappropriate, then no, I would just, I just wouldn't even answer. <laughs> but if I, I can tell that they're just feeling awkward, if they're really just trying to find out, um, I see it as an opportunity. So Thank you. Because often when I see someone in a wheelchair or with a disability, when that's obvious, mm -hmm. of course, I'm curious, but I don't want to seem intrusive. And by the same token, I don't want to overlook them either. A lot of right. people who are in wheelchairs tell me because I'm out of most people's, uh, you know, direct eye contact, I often mm -hmm. feel excluded and overlooked. So I don't want to do that either. Often, mm -hmm. I don't know how to respond. So right. what advice would you give to people like me when we see somebody? I, I want to be inclusive. I'm, I'm curious. I'm just not sure always what the most appropriate way is. Um, I can tell you that um, what's really helpful in this is just realizing that this is their child who they love. 
and they want their child to be just like any other child in the sense that um, they're recognized as a human being and they're actually someone there that's not to be ignored but to be acknowledged so you know what ask what is their name something as simple as what's your child's name because it not it acknowledges that they are a human being with value just tell me their name how old are they you know and you can ask the question of them and the parent will you can even talk to the child you know and and ask and if the child gets freaked out or whatever then turn your attention to the parent just just communicating that you think that they're an individual worth knowing about and that has value. We all want that as parents, right? Absolutely. We all want that as people. We want to be seen. We want to be heard. We want our child to be respected as as an individual human being. So. Absolutely. So when that happens in the church, you had to raise your children in the fishbowl of being a pastor's wife where everybody was looking at you. Um, But there are a lot of people who stay away from church uh, if they have children with special needs. And I understand you and I both worked in children's ministry. It's hard enough to recruit teachers for typical classrooms. But when you have a special needs child in there, if you're not specially trained, that can seem overwhelming. What would you say to churches who are either thinking about having a special needs ministry? or, um, you know, or wondering how to to get one started or or what kind of people to recruit to help in those areas? I would say that um, we started out, God blessed us with a a woman in our church who was a special needs teacher. But I would say the other thing I've also done is you have people in your community who I'm sure would be some would be willing to come and actually train your Sunday school teachers and give you a starting place. So if you have Sunday school teachers where you realize and you're getting people coming into your church that might you know, have kids with special needs, um, ask somebody in the special needs community to come in and do a training with your teachers. You know, how do we, how do we handle this? What do we do with the autistic kid? What do we do with a child with physical um, special needs? And they can, there's a lot they can do just in helping your teachers understand what this is. It will make your teachers um, a little more comfortable with this child in their classroom and know what to do. Um, and then, you know, there's a lot of things you could do. You could start a buddy system. You could, I would say, go to find another church in your community that has a special needs ministry. Um, get to know what they do. And then just ask God to start to fill those spots for you in your church. You know, I think the, the biggest thing is be aware and, and start, start looking for ways that you can make your church Um, you know, special needs community friendly. It's so important because like you say, those, and Megan, believe it or not, Megan has done more to help people coming into our church just by being a welcoming face and welcoming, welcoming them in. She gets excited. She used to stand at the table, the welcome table and families would come in. And instead of getting that, you know, blank stare from people, like we don't know what to do with you or your kid, Megan would run up to them and say, Oh, you know, we have a class. I'll take them back. Follow me. I mean, that you have no idea what that does to a special needs parent to know that you're welcomed from right from the very beginning. It's a pretty cool thing. It was a very cool thing to watch with Megan. Absolutely. I'm so happy that she found a place to serve and a place that's not only meaningful to her, but useful in the mm-hmm. body of Christ. You know, we all fit in some way and it's wonderful when we find that spot. You said something that I thought was really interesting about creating awareness or creating um, 
uh, uh, knowledge, giving people confidence about how to behave around people with special needs. I think uh, knowledge and asking good questions will often eliminate the fear that a lot of people have, the fear of not knowing what to do, their own personal fear of not being enough or being or, or making things worse by messing things up. And so I think training and, and uh, growing awareness and knowledge is a wonderful place to start. So thank you for that good advice. As we close out our show today, is there anything you'd like people to see more clearly as a result of our conversation? Um, I think if it's when it comes to the special needs community, um, I think a lot of times these parents feel they feel isolated and they they feel judged. So um, I think ask them questions. Just ask them, how are you doing? And instead of assuming that you know what they need, ask them what they need, you know, and, and just, um, just know that they are special people. They have a lot to offer because of what they've been through with their children and um, don't stand at a distance. They're, they are, they're you and me, you know, each, each one of us, each person is one step away from being in their, in their, their um, situation. You know, they weren't experts when they became special needs parents. They're just like you and me. And so I would say, ask them what they need and ask them how they're doing. Don't assume, don't assume you know, you know, and then just come alongside them, come alongside them in prayer, um, come alongside them in, you know, if you can give them a couple hours away to go shopping or do whatever they need to do. Um, yeah, just be aware of them. And um, the biggest thing is don't, don't make assumptions. Talk to them. Well, big shout out to you and to many special needs parents who are listening to our show. We so appreciate the wonderful things that you bring not only to our churches, but our friendships and our communities um, through compassion through uh, flexibility, through um, maybe a slower pace of life, learning to value the moments that you're in. So many good things that we can learn from our association and uh, not only uh, watching you, but walking alongside you in your journeys. I know I'm a better person for having done so. So thank you, Jenny, for letting me do that with you. And thanks, friends, for listening today. We've sure enjoyed our time with Jenny Garrison. Um, and we'll see you next week. Can you think of someone who would enjoy our show today? If so, please share it with them. You can help others find us too by liking, subscribing, rating, and reviewing. Visit today's show notes for show highlights, links to recommended resources, including our own, nis.media. I'd love to hear what you have to say, so drop me a line at Kit McCarty NIS on Facebook or at kit at nis.media. And if you'd like to hear more from me, sign up for my periodic newsletter when you're on my site. Special thanks to the production team at Headset Radio and to my friend Becky Salazar for the bumper music. I'm your host, Kit McCarty. See you again soon.